Hello, and welcome to What Are You?, a podcast exploring aspects of race and identity through a biracial and multiracial lens. I'm your co-host, Paula Thomas, and I'm joined as always with my brother, Mr. Stacey Thomas. What's going on, y'all? Want to say hello to all of our What Are You? pod listeners. Hey, what's up? It's been a while. It has been. (laughs) Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And are looking forward to the holidays. I know Stacy and I got our booster shots the other day. If you are eligible, we recommend that you get them. We are not anti-vax here at What Are You? Everybody's eligible, I think, at this point. Around the country? Yes. Awesome. Please do so. So it's been a while, so there's a lot of news that's happened. Yeah, so we definitely apologize for the long time in between our our pod and release and i know as soon as you get this in your feed you're going to be like oh my gosh this is going to be so great <laughs> and we'll try to do our best to fulfill our uh informing and entertaining ways but uh paul is absolutely right like we really want to talk about some things that are happening in the news and probably for us the results of two major trials that have just we've gotten verdicts from and we want to talk about those in particular and uh, and our thoughts. Yes, and those two trials are the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and of course the Ahmad Arbery case in Georgia. And I know that these aren't the most recent news stories. Um, I know this happened; these verdicts came out about one or two weeks ago. But I think when you know when the news cycle is so quick. I mean, now that we have another school shooting. Um, And, you know, we're all busy with our lives and work and the holidays coming up that we don't always have the opportunity to process and really think about what these things mean. And so Stacey and I want to take the time to, you know, one, just do it for ourselves, do it a process for ourselves um, and to also share that with you. So just for a refresher, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, was an underage minor at the time. He was 17 armed himself with an AR-15 style rifle, crossed state lines from Illinois into Wisconsin, and arrived in Kenosha, Wisconsin on the night of an arrest sparked by the police shooting of Jacob Blake, a 29-year-old black man who was left paralyzed after an encounter with a white officer who shot him seven times in the back. And while Rittenhouse was on his, I don't know what you call it, his vigilante patrol, He shot and killed two people and injured a third. Yeah, what I think is missing from that is that Kyle Rittenhouse felt called to leave the state of Illinois, cross state lines to Wisconsin to contribute to protecting property. And he in particular ended up protecting a car dealership in in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is what he ultimately was defending. So property, yes, not people, not defending people, not anything whatsoever. It's this idea: this unrest is happening. Let's make sure people's property is protected. And let's remember here that Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted on all charges that included first degree intentional homicide, first degree reckless homicide, first degree attempted intentional homicide and two counts of first-degree reckless endangerment. I mean, I thought he'd at least get charged on that last one. And if you think about that night when he went to Kenosha, 
you know, like, like you said, Stace, there was civil unrest and he purposefully put himself in that situation with a weapon of war. I mean, a AR-15 weapon is not a conceal and carry weapon. It's, it's pretty prominent. Mm-hmm. So you're making a statement by carrying that around. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a provocation, mm-hmm. right? It's definitely a provocation. He's openly carrying this. There's definitely photographs of him having it, you know, strapped across his body. Yeah, it's definitely a statement that was being made mm-hmm. with him doing that. And also, wouldn't be this pod if we didn't bring up, he's a, he's a white male mm-hmm. in this. So he's a white male, not from this community, decided to bring a weapon, again, like you are saying, Paul, not concealed, but this assault rifle and carry it around in his attempts to protect property. Yeah, it's like he has been deputized in his mind that he can then just walk through the streets. And I would just say too, I mean, you know, maybe something about white folks, but the cojones to just be like, I'm just gonna carry around an assault rifle, you know, even though I'm underage and don't live here (laughs) and walk around and feel perfectly at ease in doing so is amazing. Big time privilege, big time privilege where you feel like you can do this Mm -hmm. and you feel that you carrying the assault rifle is going to possibly contribute to de-escalation, which we all don't think that was his intention. And if you think about it in context too, like Jacob Blake, who we talked about earlier, who was shot by the Kenosha police and who was paralyzed, unarmed, shot seven times in the back. We talk about George Floyd, killed, unarmed. I mean, we can go on and on. You know, we talk about Ahmaud Arbery later on. Unarmed. All these people lost their lives who who, who were not provocating that type of... Response. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so we can go into some of the reasons why Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted. And it was the way the defense set it up was... They just provided self-defense was the whole case. And the way the laws are written in Kenosha, Wisconsin, they were perfectly fine. In other words, all the defense had to do was characterize, did Kyle Rittenhouse fear for his life when he fired his rifle? And Mm. in all three cases, the jury saw to it like, yeah, he was scared for his life. So it was okay for him to to fire those shots. I mean, I'm not saying he wasn't scared for his life. I mean, I can't tell you what his feelings were at the moment, but if you came to the fight armed, that's what you were going for. You know, you you helped create a situation that you found yourself in. And then when it got a little too scary, then it resulted in the deaths of other people. Yeah, I mean, so this is what I would say is a problem in terms of like how the law is written. So it didn't, The law is written so that as long as he didn't provoke said attacks. I mean, if you ask me, and, you know, I understand that, you know, I'm not the law, but he was provoking walking around with his weapon. But I understand what you're saying. Legally, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, so legally, in terms of the law, like he didn't provoke the instances, at least that's how the jury saw it. Like he didn't provoke the instances. So therefore he was justified as soon as if you don't provoke anything, you fear for your life, you can shoot somebody. Mm -hmm. Like you're perfectly justified in the eyes of the law in that case. 
You know, if you think about some of those white supremacist protests that have been, you know, happening around the country the last couple of years, and I think the reason that they walk around with their weapons is provocation. I mean, they're doing it to intimidate. Yeah, there's a that's the total purpose for you to open carry an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing it for a reaction and for provocation, or you're trying to show this display of power. Like it's there for a response. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, in terms of the eyes of law, it just depends on like how much of a response that warrants. And I'm even thinking about Tamir Rice, who was 12 years old and shot and killed by police for having a supposed toy gun. And you mentioned, Stace, Kyle Rittenhouse's white privilege and his ability to walk around armed with this AR-15 style rifle. And I challenge the audience to replace him with a black body who is armed in that way. And I'll even challenge and say even a Muslim body mm-hmm. to walk around armed in that way. And what kind of response does that elicit from law enforcement, the public, and the media? Yeah, so there's two things that I'm thinking about when you're bringing that up. So just having the assault rifle is a provocation. And we can go back into our not-so-distant history here in California, where the Black Panther Party Mm. would show up armed and they would show up to uh, government buildings with it. And they were doing it on purpose. They knew that they were doing it on purpose. Uh, They were doing it. It was within their rights. It was all legal. But they were doing it for a provocation. And one of the reasons we know the Black Panthers were showing that they felt they were being over-policed. And so in order to protect their community, they were coming, coming armed. And what we saw after that, and at the time, the governor was Ronald Reagan. Mm. He decided to, obviously, with the work of the legislature, like pass laws to make it illegal to carry firearms in government buildings right after that. Mm. And also the National Rifle Association also really came down heavily on uh, basically black bodies, you know, doing things that are, quote unquote, within the law. They, oh, so they're going to quickly change the law and do all these other things. But when your other point, Paula, in terms of when it's a white body, it's like, oh, they're they're within their rights. They can do that. And you can stand your ground. Mm. And that's the kind of language that is being put forward uh, in this situation. Yeah, I'm just thinking, too, about the media coverage, too, of the Black Panthers, at least at the time, was definitely very negative. Another thought I'd have, too, about this uh, Rittenhouse trial was... His three victims, the two who he killed and the other that he injured, you know, were all white men. Mm -hmm. And you think since they were the victims, they would be the ones that at the very least, I don't know, I guess I thought maybe the the trial might at least have, uh, even if it was a lesser charge, you know, he might get something. But the fact that he was acquitted on like all charges is pretty... Pretty amazing. And I don't mean amazing in like in a surprising way, but in a amazing in a amazing in a in a way that in a country where we tout our, you know, laws and system of justice, blah, 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 that 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 happens. Well, in terms of what you're saying about a lesser charge. So the prosecutor did not pursue lesser charges. So therefore, 
there wasn't any lesser charge mm. to be to be brought up. So, I mean, ultimately, I would say it's it's disappointing for myself to hear this verdict and somebody say like, oh, self-defense, whatever, and maybe that's how the law is written, not arguing like how the law is written. But what I have seen even before the actual trial is, uh, you know, he was Kyle Rittenhouse's having t-shirts that says like free as a bird and you know he's definitely being praised in a lot of conservative and republican circles and it's one thing if it was like self-defense and you at least seem in minimum performatively shown some contrition like yeah two people lost their lives and somebody's injured like it's a big deal Mm -hmm. self-defense that's one thing versus like i killed two people and I'm, you know, now uh, being courted by Republican lawmakers to be an intern with them. I'm doing interviews with Tucker Carlson right afterwards. That is not somebody who has really, again, showed any kind of remorse. You know, this is a person who who cried in the middle of the trial um, to to gain sympathy. And it's not that he was crying because he was remorseful in terms of the lies that were lost. It was for him and his own selfish, uh, you know, reasons and for him like going through, and I'm not going to say it's not a traumatic experience, but again, you don't really kind of see this with him in terms of really thinking through the loss of life. And you also hear that, that one burst of emotion was the only time he had it. And so then again, when he's talking about the events, when he goes on the stand, he's very measured. And so that's, again, where you wonder if that was performative in terms of him, you know, having those tears in the first place, because it doesn't seem like you're, he's really thinking about the victims. Or their families. Or their families or anything at all. It doesn't seem anything whatsoever about that. And it's also unsettling that he's being held up again in Republican and uh, conservative circles as this kind of hero. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a member of con- Congress pushing for him to get the highest uh, recognition that Congress can give. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that this is what's being held up, and we have to think about this really, which is what's being held up here that a white male, quote unquote, stood their ground and shot some libs. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what's being that's what's being they kind want of to celebrated. And honor him for murdering people. Yes. Just crazy. And, and and the last thing I'll say about this is you know, what does that say for the future, especially in that community and how that community should feel in that area where somebody could just come through armed, shoot people and have no consequences. Not even like, you know, something minor, like, you know, he's on parole or he has to like attend some classes on safety or whatever. Even the fact that he was underage and illegally armed, there was there was nothing. Which, again, when I said amazing earlier, uh, this is what I'm saying that's amazing. Well, again, we'll bring this up in the second segment, but this idea that I fear for my life and so therefore 
I'm justified in pulling the trigger on somebody. But you can't control the the the, argue, the thing issue I have with that argument, and you know, not argue or that law or whatever that is, is that other people cannot control your fear. You know, I remember the. I don't know if any of you guys have saw the video of Philando Castile being murdered, which is crazy traumatic. And actually, I'll be honest, after that one, I, I really couldn't watch anymore because it was... It's really bad. It's really bad. And just so you know, there was a two-year-old in the car. Yes. When that happened. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, the, the police officer's scared. He's scared. I'm like, there was nothing that Philando Castile or the people in the car could have done to assuage his fear. His fear was irrational. Right. And if you have irrational fear that is armed, damage, injury, death can happen. Now, if that person was unarmed and was fearful, just imagine how that confrontation would have gone down. It would have gone down very differently. But because in this country we're armed to the teeth, you know, that brings a different outcome to any conflict. Right. Well... On to our next trial, and this involves the murder of 25-year-old black man Ahmad Arbery in Brunswick County, Georgia. The men responsible for his death are Greg McMichael, his son Travis McMichael, and their neighbor William Bryant. All three men were found guilty and will be sentenced to no less than life in prison. And I believe the judge will have to decide whether or not it is with parole. The president himself, Joe Biden, weighed in and said, the guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job. And you know, while I appreciate the president joining the discussion, I have to disagree with him because this trial almost didn't happen. Right. Greg McMichael, one of Arbery's convicted killers, was a former investigator in the Glenn County District Attorney's Office. And just after the shooting, phone records show Greg McMichael called his former boss, District Attorney Jackie Johnson. And Johnson knowingly and willfully directed two Glenn County police officers to not arrest Travis McMichael and his son and neighbor, contrary to the laws of the state. And only after she did that did she recuse herself from the case. Johnson then handed off the case to an out-of-town prosecutor, George E. Barnhill, who argued that there was not sufficient probable cause to arrest uh, the McMichaels and Bryant. He said that they had been within their rights to pursue what he called a burglary suspect and cited a state law that says a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. Mr. Barnhill also argued that if Mr. Arbery attacked Travis McMichael, Mr. McMichael was then allowed to use deadly force to protect himself under Georgia law. And it wasn't until complaints by Mrs. Arbery and when the video of the murder was released publicly, and this is two months later, that Mr. Barnhill then recused himself and a new prosecutor put out warrants for the arrest of the two McMichaels and William Bryant. And that's how we finally arrived at the trial where the killers were convicted. Oh, and Jackie Johnson, the first prosecutor, has since been indicted 
on a felony charge of violating her oath of office and a misdemeanor count of obstructing police for her role in the investigation. Yeah, so I remember getting news of this in early 2020, or the first half of 2020. And for me, particularly because I also do a lot of running in neighborhoods, etc. And as a person who identifies as black, so being a black runner and seeing this as a possibility, uh, did not really sit well, it was very unsettling uh, for me to hear that this had taken place. So, but again, to what you're saying in terms of what President Biden was saying, like this is how the justice system works. It wasn't working in a way until particular people put pressure. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So the justice system by itself, and what I call sometimes the injustice system, by default wasn't going to prosecute the three people responsible for the death of Ahmaud Arbery. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, It wasn't going to happen. He had two different... Uh, DA say this isn't going to be. So if that's how the justice system is supposed to work, uh, no. But after it takes complaints from the Arbery family and it it took uh, some big public outrage from people after the video was released for there for there to be action being taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you think about if this happened before the days of cell phones, it's a done deal. We we would have no trial. Yeah, I mean, let's even think about who was even taking that. Self, that cell phone video. Mm-hmm. It was one of the pursuers. Right. So th- one of the pursuers thought it would be a good idea to film them pursuing Ahmad Arbery mm. and his eventual death. Like so, that's again white privilege at its highest. Like you just don't, you just think that's perfectly okay. That's just perfectly okay. We're we're going to do that. So. Yeah, I know it kind of affected you when Ahmad Arbery was killed. Yeah, I don't usually uh, do a lot of social media posts, but after that incident, I definitely did take to social media to post uh, my frustration um, with, with that situation. Another thing that I wanted to talk about, and we talked about this a little bit with the Rittenhouse trial, was that these three men, the McMichaels and Bryant, were bold enough to think that they could just pursue someone who is outside jogging. I mean, if any of us went outside of our houses right now, I'm sure you would see somebody on a jog or on a run or on a walk, you know, just being outside, exercising. And to think that these men felt that they could pursue somebody doing those activities in their cars and in their trucks armed and feel like they have the right to question and stop you. And, and we've talked about this in a previous pod about Black folks constantly being questioned about where you are and why you're there. And I'm, and I'm sure you could Google, you know, anything while Black, you know, whether it's reading while Black or being at Starbucks while Black and, you know, everyday, everyday mundane things. And you're having to constantly justify what you're doing and why you're there. Yeah, that happens all the time uh, with that WB, pick your verb, you know, 
Wild Black happens all the time. You have here locally here in the Bay Area. They even happen to W. Kamal Bell at a local cafe, a uh, famous comedian who's black, uh, who's on CNN and does uh, shows, but was questioned in terms of his presence, in terms of why he's being there. So it didn't matter in terms of like how how famous or, you know, whatever. You just show up in a black body. A lot of times you can be questioned in terms of like what you are doing in particular places. Mm-hmm. Like you're always questioned, like, oh, you you don't belong here. Like it's kind of like know your place. It's similar to where a lot of times people criticize black folks who have encounters with the police, where they're just like, why don't they just listen to them? Mm-hmm. Why 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 do they why are you why are they combative? Why didn't they just comply? Mm-hmm. All those times. Well, you you constantly see that you're always being questioned all the time, and you have to always explain, and that could be frustrating. Yeah. I also think, too, this idea of what the McMichaels and Brian were talking about in terms of their defense, which was some citizens arrest, which I know is a, you know, is a thing. It sounds quite antiquated to me in which you can deputize just citizens and then they they can just. That law is no longer on the books, by the way. Well, awesome, because it's ridiculous. Yes. And and it, it reminded me of that episode we did about policing and we talked about deputizing the citizens to help in slave patrols and things like that, in which you're bringing in the community to then, you know, patrol other parts of the community. In essence, none of those men have any more or less rights than Ahmad Arbery. They can, you know, imagine a crime, which, which was, there was no crime. I there guess. was no crime. They were saying that maybe he burgled someplace. They had no evidence of that. They had no evidence whatsoever. I think they were just spooked. I think they just saw a black man who likes to run in their neighborhood that... That was an unwanted presence. And speaking of the deputization, this is going to be a callback to what we said in another pod and also to the trial that we talked about previously is in Kenosha during the unrest and there were various, uh, I was going to call them white militias that showed up, you know, armed mm-hmm. and police officers would, I've heard accounts, tell people in some of those white militias, we're really glad that you're here. Mm-hmm. And almost like deputize them and sometimes gave them bottles of water. Mm. You know, so we're just showing like this, even de facto, they're kind of doing this practice. White bodies are allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just an unwritten rule. So what do you think made the difference between... You know, well, obviously the Rittenhouse and the Ahmad Arbery cases were two different trials with different circumstances, but Ahmad Arbery's killers were convicted. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to both. I mean, you know, basically, I would say the people who perpetrated the death of Ahmad Arbery, I'm just gonna be real, were stupid. Let's put it that way. Uh, but they didn't have a strong defense. They did not have a strong defense in terms of their reasons why they happened. They they also tried to use the fear for life defense, like he was reaching for the gun type of thing, exactly what happened in the Rittenhouse trial. The difference was, in this case, they showed the defense couldn't paint a picture where the pursuers were not the uh, prov- provocateurs in this case. So they clearly, they like chased him down in pickup trucks and he was like, he on didn't, foot. on foot, you know, and he didn't yell anything. He didn't like, Amadar just kept trying to run. Mm. That's all. And so they cornered him and stopped him. And so therefore it happened. 
But an also an interesting feature in this case is how the prosecutor did not, until the very end, mention race. I'm talking about the Ahmad Arbery. Case. Yeah, about the Ahmad Arbery. Didn't mention race until closing arguments. Hmm. Uh, had the opportunity to submit evidence, uh, like particularly that like there was a uh, the license plate of the truck that was pursuing had an old. Uh, had a license plate with a old version of the Georgia flag, which had the Confederacy in it. Of course it did. Of course it did. Some people are, are, it depends on how you think of this. Some people are hailing the approach by the prosecutor of not bringing up race to the end as genius because out of the 12 jurors, 11 of them were white, mm-hmm. only one of them black. So there was no, some felt like she had to be, the prosecutor, she had to be tactful in terms of how she was approaching this and not, hit bring up race too much bring up race too much or even that license plate because it could be some of them had that license plate and Mm. to them like that that's like not a big deal wow they don't make the there's not always the connection some people make between race and the confederacy okay yeah i just i i know i know for people of color it's like what no that's that's how uh they operate so um so did not bring a race to the end some people think it's a good approach because of obviously the result, the family's happy. There are other people who might question who we really clear that there was racial animus involved mm-hmm. in this case and not bring it up and not center it. Uh, some people say that's a might have missed a moral imperative to do that, mm. to, to, to center that. Mm-hmm. So the defense did a couple of self owns, you know, where they said they didn't want black clergy showing up to the courthouse into the courtroom okay saying that was intimidating so black bodies in a courtroom is intimidating yes and 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 use the particularly words they said black pastors said that very clear i will say the judge definitely reprimanded the defense attorney that brought that up but also that there was definitely some protests or some shows of support for the prosecution that had some black clergy people outside and the defense again brought up like it was like having a modern day lynching what yes this is the language that the defense so people were protesting outside the courthouse that's right saying yeah and and the defense was like we can't have that that's a modern day lynching that's correct wow that's right again i just want to point out the difference here you have kyle rittenhouse who's white armed and provocating and he supported and seen as protecting and innocent. And then you have black bodies who are inside the courtroom and, and, and outside the courtroom. And they're intimidating, dangerous, lynching. Yes. That's, again, this is what you're talking about, Paul, about the irrational fear that sometimes people fearful of black bodies in, in certain situations. How do you feel, Stace, about the fact that race wasn't brought up in the trial until the very end? Uh, I'm torn. I think there's two things that are true for me. I'm, I'm, I think it was a good tack that the prosecution took in order to arrive at the result that they got, which is guilty for all three men, mm-hmm. which is deserved. And, and the family definitely felt some sense of relief, some sense of relief. They're never going get, to get Ahmad back. But... Why were we even following this in the first place? Yeah. 
is because of race. Mm-hmm. It was because we had a black body that was taken before its time due to the actions of some, like you said, Paula, emboldened white males to do so and to act accordingly and didn't see anything wrong with their actions. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why people were following it. Right. It wasn't because it was race neutral. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't, it was front and That's the whole reason why. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why people were out in Kenosha for Jacob Blake. Exactly. That's why people were upset about uh, in the, during the Derek Chauvin trial for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. That's, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. We're talking about race. Yes. And to divorce it from that reality seems odd. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it's a misstep because again they got the the prosecution got the result that's desired in the in the in the family mm-hmm. or satisfied with that result. But I think about like why the prosecution even had to do that mm-hmm. because for everybody else it was clearly obvious mm-hmm. race was central to this whole situation even happening in the first place. And I believe the prosecutor was white herself. Yes. So maybe she understood her jury. Yes. And was trying not to yes. alienate them. Yes. So that's unfortunate that that's the space you got to play. But that's probably also just a fact. Well, I mean, I would think, like, why was 11 out of the 12 jury people white? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? So I, I think about that. Like, that seems weird to me that that's allowed mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. uh and this might have informed the prosecution's tactics to tactics in terms of you know how they were going to approach this trial and for our audience out there a grand jury has charged all three men the mcmichaels and william bryant with federal hate crimes and attempted kidnapping in the death of ahmaud arbery and that trial will be coming in the next few months and race will be the center of those hate crime charges. Yeah, and I would I would bring up a again what you're saying, Paula. The injustice system did not work like how we have liked it to work. Otherwise, then the prosecutor wouldn't have to use take those tactics. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor could have brought up race sooner than the closing arguments. Could have admitted other evidence as piece of it. Um, but again, the defense said some stupid things about black clergy also in closing arguments one of the defense attorneys described Ahmad Arbery's long dirty toenails what? in order to characterize somebody who's not a jogger yeah like yeah it just it's just very okay. super so you race get, dog whistle stuff so you get to murder them yeah yeah pretty much I mean, <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean this is this is what the defense you know was putting forward they felt they felt okay of doing they felt okay doing all of this. Yeah. I would say in the death of Ahmad Arbery trial, the result is probably in my mind satisfactory, but here's where I would ask our listeners to think about did you think that was going to be the result? Like honestly, like what chance did you have that was going to be the result? The fact that we even have the question, like you know, maybe it's like ah, oh, it's fifty-fifty. The fact that it wasn't a slam dunk mm-hmm. tells you something that our injustice system is not where it needs to be. Yeah, to what you're saying, Stace, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial ended less than a week before the Ahmad Arbery case, and he was acquitted on all charges. 
yeah, again, I'll go back to what you said. I respect what, you know, President Biden, but not agreeing. This is not how the injustice system is supposed to work. The fact that we're so unsure of what these results are, even though, and again, we're not in the courtrooms hearing every single piece of fact and what's being admitted, but let's be for real we kind of got the gist and we mm -hmm. kind of know the time. And so if these people are doing, are ending the lives of others, like, yeah, they need to be, you know, have consequences. Yeah. <laughs> That's just very clear. They need to have consequences for that. And we don't see that all the time. And that shows us really an indictment in terms of how the injustice system is really working or not working or some may argue it's working exactly how it was designed. There's there's that too. So, mm. so what I would say is we have a long way to go in terms of uh, making the injustice system a justice system. Uh, we definitely need to pay attention to who our uh, DAs are, uh, wherever we are, our attorney generals, et cetera. Um, Absolutely. If th those who have chief of police and local sheriffs that are elected office, we need to be aware of that as well. Um, these are all important factors that we need to do because I'm going to be real. Unfortunately, this isn't going to be the last time yeah. that this is going to happen. I mean, <laughs> I, I asked somebody, says like, oh, okay, now that we have the Ahmaud Arbery trial, we're not going to hear about this ever again or any kind of incident such that, oh, come on. Okay, come on. Mm -hmm. Come on. We all know that's not true. So we know we need to put some things in place in order to make the conditions better so where we are hearing favorable verdicts more often, especially when we're seeing black bodies and the bodies of people of color being ended by uh, either by the state, by police officers or, or other individuals where we definitely know racial animus is involved. Thanks Stace for another great discussion. And for talking it out. Yeah, yeah. It's, we need some processing. I think a lot of people need processing. Hopefully our listeners uh, take this time to consider some things. And maybe, hopefully, this supports you in processing uh, some of these verdicts as well. So thank you out there for listening to the What Are You podcast. Uh, please feel free to follow us on our Instagram at whatareyoupod, where we post when we have new episodes. And if you are not a subscriber yet please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast whether it's on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcasts uh and if you uh are on the apple podcast you can definitely rate and you can definitely hit those five stars if you true through even post a positive review we'd really appreciate that as well as any feedback feedback we would say the email address which would be what are you 1619 at gmail.com so we hope you and yours and your family have a wonderful holiday season I'm Paula Thomas. And I'm Stacy Thomas. Stay safe and healthy and get your booster. Spooky Calavera on the beat, y'all. Mm.